The events of the past uh, couple of years, and especially even more intensified by the last few months, have again underscored the absolute centrality um, of Eretz Yisrael in its modern form, of course, uh, Medinat Yisrael, in our personal lives and especially in our communal lives. All of us, as we just mentioned in the introduction, are riveted constantly listening to the news every hour to make sure nothing else uh, has transpired. Um, we're all in a state of almost constant searching and anxiety with respect to what it is that's happening to Achenu B'nai Yisrael Be'eretz Yisrael, searching for ways to contribute to Eretz Yisrael's security and well-being. The last couple of weeks, many have joined in rallies in Washington and Tehillim rallies here in New York and so on. Or finding other outlets to encourage Achenu B'nai Yisrael Hayoshvim Batsara to try to let them know that indeed we not only identify with them, but we really feel that we are uh, them by traveling to Eretz Yisrael, by continuing to send our children to study in Eretz Yisrael, by doing whatever we can to underscore that whatever the rest of the world thinks, Klal Yisrael remains united fully and understands and is sensitive fully to the historic and contemporary role that Eretz Yisrael plays in each and every one of our lives. This centrality, while it's been underscored maybe more acutely in the last couple of years, of course is not new at all and has its roots at the origin of our history. One can document the special relationship of each, for example, of the Avos with Eretz Yisrael. And since, of course, the history of the Avos is a history of each and every one of us and of the collective history is a collective history of Klal Yisrael, Avos Hein Hein Hamerkava and Masa Avos Simon Labanim. So, of course, understanding the relationship or beginning with the relationship between the Avos and the Eretz Yisrael is crucial to a proper understanding of that centrality. Moreover, looking briefly at the Avos provides us an opportunity to be aware of the fact that the nature of the relationship to Eretz Yisrael may differ, but the centrality is the common theme that prevails notwithstanding those differences. Avram Avinu was the Av Hamon Goyim. He was the father, literally, of the nation, reflected in his name. And of course, the very first charge given to Avram Avinu was the obligation to leave his, I don't know whether it was a comfortable or a cushy home, it was a home with many problems, but it was home. It was familiar to him. It was where his family resided. And still, therefore, constituted a special challenge to him. Chazal, of course, emphasizing each one of these representing its own difficulty and its own challenge. El Haaretz Asher Areka. This is not only addressed to Avram Avinu, but again, it's the first thing as addressed to Avram Avinu in his new capacity. Not only that, but it would be in Eretz Yisrael, and it would be because of Avram's ability to respond to this charge that it would be Vayescha Legai Gadol. Clearly, Jewish nationhood initially was meant to be tied to the place of Eretz Yisrael. Chazal tell us that there are two 
Chazal notes that there are two Lech Lechas in the life of Avraham Avinu. Lech Lecha me'artzecha me'me'lanatecha and of course Lech Lecha Elhar HaMoriah. On the surface, it would seem that the second was far more of a test than the first. And certainly that the second constituted, did in one respect, the apex, the height of Avraham Avinu's um, status as an Ovid Hashem. Ate adati of course, nothing could be a greater challenge than asking Avraham Avinu to sacrifice that which is most precious to him, his son, moreover, that which embodied the future, the legacy of Klal Yisrael. But the fact is that Chazal note this similar use of terminology and suggest that Lech Lecha Me'artzecha and Lech Lecha Moriah are linked implying there couldn't have been the second unless there had been the proper response to the first. And that even as the second is an obvious test, and one which is a clear character development, um, crucial character development element in the life of Avraham Avinu, Kimata, so too, the response to it and the significance of it attains almost the same status as the Akedah itself. Actually, I had occasion once uh, from this uh, very spot to note that whenever you have a list, it is usually the first and the last ingredients in the list that are the most significant. The first because it sets the tone, the last because it constitutes the climax, the culmination of a certain journey or a certain process. In that sense too, the first Lech Lecha, and the last Lech Lecha represent the beginning and the end, the setting of the tone and the climax and culmination that began with that first Sivui. So that Lech Lecha Me'artzecha Ba'escha Lagai Gadol is crucial to the life of Avram Avinu. Yitzchak Avinu, the first born Jew, one could say, or naturalized Jew, has an even more intense relationship with Eretz Yisrael. He is, of course, is the exclusive relationship. And it's fascinating that that relationship, according to Chazal, was precisely forged in the context of the Akedah. That's when he became an Ola Tamima. When Avram Avino was able to respond properly to the second Lech to conclude what he began at his first Lech it was that moment in time in which Yitzchak's special relationship with Eretz Yisrael was also forged. Of course, it took a different expression, but it played no less, certainly, a crucial role in his life. And even when the challenges were great, and it would seem that logic dictated, and even religion may have dictated, that Yitzchak leave Eretz Yisrael, he could not, would not, because of this consequence of his experience of the Akedah. By Yachtov, the experience of the Akedah was different for Avram and different for Yitzchak. But for both of them, it was a transforming experience, Yachtov. And for both of them, the link to Eretz Yisrael was a crucial one. So that Yitzchak, whatever the pressures are, must spend his entire life, maybe the first naturally born Jew, has to spend his entire life 
in Eretz Yisrael. And then, of course, the third of the Avos, the Bechir HaAvos, Tiferest, the one who best balances all of the various Midos, all of the various qualities and characteristics. Yaakov Avinu, the father of the Shvatim, Yaakov who shares his name, in his name, also the name of Kal Yisrael. Yisrael. Yaakov has the most dialectical and complex relationship with Eretz Yisrael. On the one hand, Medrash tells us that he hopes against hope and initially assumes that he has his father's same status. And when he's told to leave Eretz Yisrael, he goes to the very places that his father had journeyed, where his father was told that he was not able to step foot outside of Eretz Yisrael, because Yaakov hopes against hope that he too will receive the same kind of instruction. Under no circumstances may he leave Eretz Yisrael. However, Yaakov's fate and Yaakov's destiny was to be different from that of Yitzchak. Because there already was a Yitzchak, there could also be a more complex relationship embodied by Tiferes Yisrael Yaakov. Yaakov has to leave Eretz Yisrael for a time. There has to be a manifestation of Klau Yisrael's life outside of Eretz Yisrael. But the fact is that that life is very much informed by the experiences of his father. And without going into too much detail, a reading of the Psukim with regard to Yaakov and his development from the beginning of Vayetzeh, Vayetzeh, Vayishlach in particular, can be read by analyzing the way in which Yaakov identifies himself or is told by the Rabbanu Shalom to be identified. Sometimes he is defined as the son of Yitzchak, sometimes the son of Yitzchak and Avram, sometimes only the son of Avram, and so on. This is the Torah's way of establishing that Yaakov needs to undergo his own unique development, balancing the Midos of Avram and Yitzchak, and of course, therefore, also um, allowing for existence not only in the ideal environment of Eretz Yisrael, but also in the challenging environment of Chutzlaretz. But again, when it reaches a point where Yaakov's spiritual development is no longer being furthered by this exposure, but at a certain point, his sense of self, his link to Eretz Yisrael and to Yitzchak, is being put in jeopardy. At that point, the tzivui goes out, Yaakov understands it very well, that the time has come to leave the house of Lavan, to retrace, to return again to Pachad Aviv Yitzchak, to return to the kind of relationship that his father had with Eretz Yisrael. And that marks, again, the final transition, the culmination of Yaakov's development in the Psukim. In addition to that, the Ramban has a whole scheme, it's well known, that while Yaakov, of course, was able to leave Eretz Yisrael, the standards of his religious life were influenced by where he found himself. Ramban explains that the Avos were Mekayim, the Mitzvahs and the Torah, and the Yisurim of the Torah. However, they were Mekayim them strictly in Eretz Yisrael. In the Chutzlaretz, they had a certain additional leeway. 
That's how the Ramban explains that Yaakov was able to marry two sisters outside of Eretz Israel, but was not able to remain married to both of them once he crossed back into Eretz Israel. Therefore, it was necessary that one of his wives, Rachel, not remain alive. This idea that Yaakov could, had to, be able to set up for himself a life in Chutzlaretz, but that the impact of life in Eretz Yisrael on his religious standards was felt in such a dramatic way, further accents the idea that Yaakov's relationship to Eretz Yisrael was not less than that of Yitzchak, it was simply different, more complex. But ultimately, the impact of Eretz Yisrael on Yaakov and on the forging of Klau Yisrael and Shiftei um, was profound as well. The relationship of Eretz Yisrael, not only to the Avos, but to other figures prominent in our history, in our early history, is well documented in Tanakh. We're particularly consumed almost with the poignant chapter of Moshe Rabbeinu's connection to Eretz Yisrael. There's not time enough to develop it now, but of course, the Tzukim already imply it and Chazal elaborate much more fully that this is the great, great disappointment, even the tragedy of Moshe Rabbeinu's life. That everything that he does leads up to that moment of crossing into Eretz Yisrael, Ba'eschanan Ba'eshahi, Leymar. Even once he's given the Gzeira, Moshe Rabbeinu's heroism doesn't need any further documentation. But even once he knows that the Gzeira has already been established and that there will be no retraction, Moshe Rabbeinu can't help himself. He needs at least one final petition, one final plea, by Eskanan, by Esahi, which is rejected. But the fact that it's even made at that point reflects the tremendous Avas Eretz Yisrael that Moshe Rabbeinu exhibits. Yoshua, who is considered to be the proper Yoresh of Moshe Rabbeinu, Eber Hashem, he is the one who will lead B'nai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. And according to Chazal, Moshe Rabbeinu takes some comfort in that. The extent to which he has fashioned his student and his successor, Yoshua, means that to some extent at least, his legacy will be linked to Eretz Yisrael itself. Not only the prominent figures of our early history, but more importantly, the halachic institutions which we encounter in the Torah reflect this special link to Eretz Yisrael. Not only is a place where one can do more mitzvot, but as an ideal setting for Jewish life, especially Jewish communal life, as I'll explain, one in which not only those additional mitzvot are manifest, but in which all mitzvot take on special meaning and special significance. This week we read Parshas Bahar. <clears throat> and of course the beginning of Parshas Bahar deals with the mitzvot and the isurim of Shnas Hashemitah, something that we observed um, last year. We read in this week's parsha the Shabbos Haaretz Shabbos Lashem. The idea of Shemitah is the idea that Eretz Yisrael has to rest from agricultural malachos every seven years. The fact that the Torah formulates that mitzvah in a way that echoes 
the Shabbos that we have every week on the seventh day is significant indeed. Many of the surim of Shviz are literally patterned after Malachos of Shabbos. And Chazal have remarkable comments that they make about this relationship between Shabbos and Shviz. Even to the extent that we find Chazals that say, that read certain psukim as if to say, you might have thought that there is no obligation to keep the Shabbos Bishnas HaShmita since the entire year is devoted to the concept of Shvisa. Of course it's not so. I don't want to mislead anyone. But the fact that Chazal could even make such a remark could think that the Torah needs to preclude the requirement of Shabbos as it comes every single week during the Shemitah year establishes again that we're dealing with a real concept of Shabbos and that there's a real relationship between Shabbos in time and the Shabbos that takes place in Eretz Yisrael. The fact that the Parshios intermix and intermingle, that Psukim that speak about Shabbos or apparently speak about Shabbos are understood by Chazal to be make reference to Shviyas and to some extent that there is an ongoing reciprocal relationship between the two again accents the idea that Eretz Yisrael's special Shabbos is something that has impact not only on those who live there and is not limited only to its agricultural motif but again expresses the idea that Eretz Yisrael life in Eretz Yisrael is a broader religious manifestation of the entire Kal Yisrael in the same way that Shabbos is and therefore the parallels become more significant the contrasts become significant as well it's not surprising that there are Rishonim who see in this link to Eretz Yisrael impact not only on halachos that have to do with Eretz Yisrael but as I alluded to earlier many other halachos halachos that are in the category of Chobos HaGavra or Chobos HaGuf personal obligations having nothing to do with the land as well of course Rabbi Yehuda Levi is known for many of his um, positions on this matter his view that the Inyan Eloki as he calls it that special um, dimension of godliness it's not a very good translation but that special uh, genius that Claudius shall have for matters that are spiritual and religious is manifest particularly and in some cases exclusively in Eretz Yisrael that's how he explains why it is that Nevuah prophecy may be limited to Eretz Yisrael it's well known that Rabbi Yudah Levi's um, focus on Eretz Yisrael was a pervasive one and his poetry on the matter is extremely compelling and beautiful his expression of Libi the Mizrach even when he didn't live there that his heart was in the east in Eretz Yisrael all of this is consistent with his view the total impact of Eretz Yisrael um, on the halachic system but even more mainstream thinkers like the Ramban echo much of this general orientation the Ramban many times in his parish on the Torah zeroes in on the words of Chazal that anybody who lives in Chutz Laretz or anybody who doesn't live in Eretz Yisrael kimish ein lo eloka. We don't know exactly what he means by that. It doesn't mean that somebody 
who lives outside of Eretz Yisrael is over the Zarah, obviously. But clearly the Ramban means to say that somebody who has the opportunity to live in Eretz Yisrael and eschews that possibility is somebody who is ignoring a dimension, a serious dimension of his religion. And of course, the Ramban quotes approvingly the Medrash in Devarim, Hatzivilach Tziyumim, the Medrash which seems to say, which is also quoted by Rashi, that all mitzvahs done outside of the confines of Eretz Yisrael are something like, I don't think he means literally, but something like in the realm of Chinuch. We do it so that when we return to Eretz Yisrael, we'll be practiced, we'll be fully um, aware of the proper way to implement those mitzvahs, we'll have a relationship with them, and so on. Well, again, I think a literal understanding of that chazal is extremely um, difficult to accept, as others point out, because the fact is that most of the Tariq mitzvahs apply fully b'chutz laretz. Clearly, one could understand that what chazal have in mind, and the Rishonim who quoted as well, is that as much as these are applicable and fully daraisa b'chutz laretz, there is a dimension that is lost when these are not integrated with the full body of the 613 mitzvahs and with the spiritual opportunities that are provided by implementing them in the context of Eretz Yisrael. And that discrepancy between being able to have this total holistic um, tayag approach, everything implied by what it is that Eretz Yisrael adds to our lives, that is not a small dimension, even if you look at it one-on-one, the individual fulfillment of individual mitzvahs. In any case, clearly, Rabbi Levi, the Ramban, others have this perspective that Eretz Yisrael plays a role not only in those mitzvahs and halakhos which clearly require uh, a link to it, but even in the broader total uh, development as Obed Hashem, the broader theme of Shmir HaSamitzvos and the system of Halacha. If this is true, then it is unsurprising that Eretz Yisrael determines the standards for, and in some cases is indispensable to, many other critical Halachic institutions. And these institutions are all the more striking for the fact that they themselves do not focus on the land or the soil per se, and, in fact, in most cases, extend fully to life outside of Eretz Yisrael, to life in the diaspora. Indeed, many of them are crucial for our communal existence wherever Jews live. And yet, they are linked to and very strongly um, dependent upon Eretz Yisrael. For example, <coughs> the calendar itself is, of course, linked to Eretz Yisrael. Gemara says in Masechet Brachos, um, Brachos and Sanhedrin, they have different limudim, but either based on Kimitzion Teitzei Torah, Udvar Hashem Yerushalayim, we're told that calendar pronunciations, pronouncements rather, have to be made, at least the Chathila, in Eretz Yisrael. Unless Shalom Hinichu Kaboso, the Eretz Yisrael. Unless the great Abanim of the generation happen to live exclusively in Chutz Laaretz, Kimitzion Teitzei Torah demands 
that the calendar be fixed in Eretz Yisrael. Now the Gemara links this to another pasuk, the idea that you have to seek out the Shechina in Zion, that is connected with establishing a calendar. It's clear that the calendar impacts not only on Eretz Yisrael, but on all of Jewish life. Right? Every Jewish settlement, every individual living in Chutz Laaretz, who is Shema Mitzvahs, needs to know what the date is. The Moadim, which we just read of in last week's Parsha, and Emar, are all dependent upon the calendar. And as far as we know, the basic obligations of the Moadim, Kedushas Hazman, are not different in Chutz Laaretz than they are in Eretz Yisrael. And yet, the institution of establishing the calendar, and of course that is a prerogative given to Bezdin and to Klal Yisrael, ideally takes place specifically in Eretz Yisrael. Nothing to do with the soil, the karka, but it is there anyway. Mavua. According to the Balei, Tosas, Rashi, others, some of this discussion takes place in the first parak of Basra. Prophecy could only take place in Eretz Yisrael. Again, it's perfectly obvious <coughs> that Nevuah, that prophecy, has nothing to do with the soil, with the karka uh, at all. It's also perfectly clear that the need for communication between the Rabboni Shalom and his people is something which transcends any place. Clearly, wherever you live, Nevuah, if there's access to Nevuah, is going to be a crucial aspect of Jewish life. And yet again, this institution according to many Rishonim, is limited to Eretz Yisrael. Kol Yisrael ha-revim according to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, that began only at the moment that Kal Yisrael passed into Eretz Yisrael. Again, the concept of Kal Yisrael ha-revim as we clearly understand it, is crucial. It establishes the responsibility of every Jew for every other Jew, this guarantor relationship. Technically it expresses itself in certain halachos. Even though you're yatsa, you can be motzi. But the idea behind yatsa motzi and this guarantor relationship is the idea that all Kal Yisrael is one. And that the corporate entity of Kal Yisrael requires involvement of the total people. And therefore, I am indeed responsible for my neighbor. I'm obligated to impact upon him. Moreover, his improper behavior undermines, to some extent, my own ability to fulfill the mitzvahs and the life of our Baruch Hashem in an ideal way. So, that measure of responsibility and the mechanism that it establishes for particular mitzvahs is clearly something that has nothing to do with the soil of Eretz Yisrael. It's not obvious that that should be limited to Eretz Yisrael. But according to the Gemara in Sanhedrin, while it's while the measure of responsibility is not limited to Eretz Yisrael, it's surely significant that it only began in time once Klal Yisrael entered into Eretz Yisrael. Again, the Gemara tells us in Masachat Sanhedrin that smicha, the institution of um, bestowing ordination, giving the right to judges to adjudicate cases of Dine Nefashos and Dine Knossos, capital cases, cases involving uh, penalties. 
this right, which is the backbone of the Jewish legal system, this status of ordination could only be bestowed in Eretz Yisrael. Again, that's very striking when we consider that the Mishnah tells us in Masachet Makos, Tavzayin and Aleph, that Sanhedrin no Heges Ba'aretz Uvechutzlaretz. That Sanhedrin is equally um, effective in Eretz Yisrael and in Chutzlaretz. In other words, if you have the proper Dayanim Smuchim, they can actually implement um, capital crimes, they can implement the sentences for capital crimes and for Knossos, not only in Eretz Yisrael, but in Chutzlaretz as well. As long as there is a Desdin that is operating malicious Hagazis at the foot of the of the base Amikdash. As long as the network, in other words, is in place, then the far flung um, system can apply outside of Eretz Yisrael. And yet, having said that, in order to achieve the credentials to be able to implement this kind of decision, one has to go to Eretz Yisrael and receive smicha there, specifically there. That's a remarkable thing. Again, no one needs to elaborate on the importance of the Jewish court system for Jewish communal life. Halacha, din, the implementation of din, is the backbone, literally, of our existence. The whole court system, much of the Torah deals with the, the way the judges um, have to conduct themselves, how they have to um, lead the Jewish community, and so on. The fact that this system applies outside of Eretz Israel, then, is unsurprising. That it has to be rooted in credentials or authority that are given in Eretz Israel is striking. Once explained that the key to understanding the broader significance of Eretz Israel is to be found perhaps in the Gemara in Masachet Horios. Ryan Horios of Gilead and Aleph discusses a very interesting problem. Torah tells us that generally speaking, when a person violates Alosase, Sheesh Babaisa, he brings a Korban Khatas. If he violates the prohibition of the Torah, he brings an individual Korban Khatas. However, if the majority of the community is in violation because Bezdin Agadol, because Bezdin incorrectly interpreted a particular halacha, and the result was that the majority of Klal Yisrael violated a particular Iser, then the Torah tells us, instead of each individual bringing a separate korban, one korban would be brought on behalf of the total Klal Yisrael. That korban was called the Par Helam Davar Shaltzibor. One par, one cow, bull, which was brought the Helam Davar Shaltzibor, for the total shogeg of the Tzibor. So the Gemara Horios raises the question, it's how do you know, or how do you gauge the majority of Klal Yisrael when it comes to this kind of an Aveira? So the Gemara says it depends on the community that is living in the boundaries of Eretz Yisrael. Kahal Yisrael shebe Eretz Yisrael ikri kahal. Kahal Yisrael shebe chutz 
Lori Krikal. The community that's living in Eretz Yisrael, they're called Kohal, community. And those living outside of Eretz Yisrael are not in the category of quote-unquote Kohal community. The point here seems to be that while there can be even a flourishing life for Jews outside of Eretz Yisrael, the fact is that historically there was. Many of the great works of halacha and Jewish philosophy and so on really actually um, resulted from the experience of Jewish life in, in Chosaretz. Talmud Bavli, the Rambam, Aruch, again the whole list. Um, people are aware of it, it's accessible. The fact is that there can be a flourishing Jewish life in Chosaretz. Indeed, perhaps the most uh, noteworthy uh, and most prominent gedolim in many eras were those who lived in Chutzlaretz. Certainly, in recent times, that's been the case. But there is a dimension of life in Eretz Israel which cannot be recaptured in Chutzlaretz, in the diaspora. And that is the sense of community, a sense of corporate Klau Yisrael, the idea that there is one corporate headquarters for all of worldwide Kahal Yisrael, and that is Eretz Yisrael. Kahal Yisrael shav Eretz Yisrael ikri kahal, Kahal Yisrael shav Meaning, if you want to bring one korban for the collective hate of Kahal Yisrael, you have to define it by the Jews living in Eretz Yisrael. Otherwise, each individual Jew has to bring his own korban. Of course, the impact of that halacha was felt not only in Eretz Yisrael, but in Chutzlaretz. In other words, if an individual in Chutzlaretz violated the same prohibition, he would be included in the Parhelem Zavashot Sibor brought by that majority in Eretz Yisrael. On the other hand, if a majority of Jews in the world violated, but not the majority in Eretz Yisrael, then even those who violated in Eretz Yisrael would bring individual kabanos. Kahal Yisrael shab Eretz Yisrael ikrikal, Kahal Yisrael shab chutzlar it's lo ikrikal. Every people, and especially the Jewish people, though they may thrive, as I say, and flourish elsewhere, have to know that there is one place which defines their corporate existence. And that is, in our case, Eretz Yisrael. And hence, anything having to do with the totality of Kal Yisrael requiring one location, a capital of some sort, a unifying element, anything requiring a principled unifying element requires Eretz Yisrael. And therefore, Kiddush HaKodesh well, as we said before, the Moadim are Kedushas Azman and they apply Bein Baretz, Bein B'chutz Laaretz. It makes no difference. At least ideally, Ki Nitzion Teitzei Torah or L'Shichna Sidrashu Basa Shama Kiddush HaKodesh must take place Tafka Baretz Yisrael because the unification through one calendar has to have its roots in that place, that corporate headquarters, Eretz Yisrael. The same is true with regard to Nevoah. Nevoah is not only 
the Rabbana Shalom's vehicle to informing Klal Yisrael what to do. Klal Yisrael deserved Nebuah through their collective status and stature. And it's only in the context of that that the Rabbana Shalom will use the mechanism and the vehicle of Nebuah. Therefore, according to many Rishonim, Nebuah has to have its roots specifically in Eretz Yisrael. Kol Yisrael HaRevim Zelazeh, which of course focuses precisely on that sense of responsibility one for the other, that corporate aspect of Kal Yisrael, only could begin once the completion of forging one nation took place. And that was only when Kal Yisrael actually crossed into, entered Eretz Yisrael. Once it applied there, then it could extend to life in Chutz Haaretz as well. And Smicha, rabbinic ordination, again, which represents the idea of continuity of the Chachmei HaMesorah, the link from Moshe Rabbeinu all the way down to the final uh, recipient of that Smicha, Ishmi Piish. That, of course, is not just about qualifying someone to render uh, rabbinic judgments. That could be done anywhere. But making somebody the repository um, of that legacy of the Messorah and giving them a sense of responsibility for the total interests of Klal Yisrael through that vehicle, that required Smicha the Eretz Yisrael. True, Sanhedrin is Noheges, but only if its roots are in Eretz Yisrael and if there indeed is a Bezdin, a Bezdin Hagadol, sitting at the foot of the Beis Hamikdash in the Lishchas Hagazis. It's interesting indeed that the Rambam in Perish of Mishnai's Bechoros, when he tries to explain the source for Sanhed, for Smicha being limited only to Eretz Yisrael, actually quotes the Gemara Horios of Gimel and Aleph. Kahal Yisrael Shev Eretz Yisrael Ikri Kahal, Kahal Yisrael Shev Chutz Laaretz Ikri Kahal. As if the Rambam himself was clearly establishing that is this sense of corporate entity and responsibility that is at root of the need for smicha to have its roots, again, specifically in Eretz Yisrael. We can gain further insight into the special quality of Eretz Yisrael if we examine briefly three dimensions of another aspect, maybe the most obvious aspect of Eretz Yisrael, and that is the Kedushas Karka of Eretz Yisrael, the soil of Eretz Yisrael, which affects its tevua, its produce. Time is a little bit late, but I'm just going to speak a few more minutes about this and then um, make a few brief comments applying this to our own situation. Let me speak briefly then uh, about the position, the very famous position uh, of the Rambam in this regard. Historically, when Moshe Rabbeinu was unable Change the Rabbanu Shalom's mind to enter into Eretz Yisrael, so it was left to Yoshua to conquer the land. When Yoshua entered Eretz Yisrael to conquer Eretz Yisrael, we're told that he invested it with kedusha, with sanctity. But at that point, Karka Shal Eretz Yisrael took on a new status, and its produce, invested with this kedusha's karka of Eretz Yisrael attained um, halachic significance. The halachas of Trumos and Masros 
and Maishasheni, Shmita, possibly other halachos, all of these are attendant upon there being Kedushas Karka in Eretz Yisrael. When Yahushua conquered Eretz Yisrael, Kibush of Yahushua invested it for the first time with that Kedusha. However, there's a debate in the Gemara whether Yahushua's Kibush was enduring or not. Do we say that Kidsha, Kedusha Rishona rather, Kidsha Rishayta Kidsha Leyasadabo, or Kedusha Rishona, the first Kedusha of Yahushua, Kidsha Leshaita, it had impact in its time, but no Kidsha Leyasadabo. It didn't really endure beyond the first Chorban. There's a debate on this point, and different Rishonim um, accept different Psachim on this matter. The Rambam takes a clear position. The Rambam in Hilchos, Beis and the Rambam in Hilchos Trumos, elsewhere, takes the view that the Kibush of Yehoshua was Batel. It did not outlive the first Chorban. Then some years passed, and in the time of Ezra, a smaller group returned to Eretz Israel from Babel. They did not reconquer the land, but they settled in it. And the context of very great hardship, challenges, they pursued their dream of reconstituting the base of Mikdash, resettling and holding on to, and slowly but surely building out a new Yishuv in Eretz Yisrael. The Chazaka, as it's known, of Ezra also invested the land with Kedusha. And here too, the Gemara records a debate. Whether the Kedusha of Ezra was Kitsha Shaita the Kitsha Yasadava, or Kitsha Shaita the Kitsha Yasadava. Exactly the same argument in parallel. Did Ezra's resettlement of the land invest the land with permanent Kedusha sanctity or not? It should be also noted that geographically, this is another topic which I'm not going to discuss now, but geographically, of course, Ezra resettled far less of the land than Yahushua had originally conquered. There were places that were part of the original conquest, but not part of the second resettlement. And therefore, those places, according to the ones who believe that the first kibbutz of Yahushua was Batel, was not enduring, those places did not have the Daraisa obligation um, of Trumos and Masros and Shemitah um, and so on. The Rambam's view is that the second Kedusha of Ezra was permanent. Rambam explains this in several places. Read you just very quickly. Two of them. One is in Hilchus um, Trumos, Perak Aleph Alachahim. Whoever settled the Ole Mitzrayim and invested the land with Kedusha Rishona, Kivin Shegalu Batlu Kedushasan. Once there was a Galus, once they were exiled, the sanctity that Joshua invested was neutralized, nullified. Because it was only based on Kibush, 
He could not outlive the kibush. However, the time of Ezra, when the small group resettled the land, part of the land, they reinvested the land with sanctity, and that was permanent. The places that they didn't resettle remained as they were, and remained only with a rabbinic obligation, but not a biblical one, of these obligations. Naaman says the same thing in Ochus Beis Avachira, in a famous passage, Parag Vav, He says, the Kedusha of Yerushalayim always was a permanent Kedusha from its very inception. The famous view of the Rambam. Because, he says, the Kedusha of Yerushalayim was the Kedusha Sashchina. It's a Kedusha based on the indwelling presence of the Rabbani Sholem himself. The Rabban Yomad Bemiktosh Yerushalayim, Kedusha Rishonik, Kedusha Asad Lavo, who Kedusha Shar Eretz Yisrael, Inyan Shviyas, Samaitzro, Sakeyotzadam, Lo Kedusha Asad Lavo, Sha Kedusha Samiktosh Yerushalayim, Epnia Shchina, who Shchina, you cannot nullify the Shekhinah. And so on. On the other hand, the rest of Eretz Yisrael's Kedusha was based on conquest. Once the conquest was overturned, because Kali Yisrael lost their political sovereignty and their military control over the land, However, when Ezra returned, he didn't conquer the land, he settled the land, and the land therefore Therefore, says the Rambam, since the second Kedusha was based not on Kibush, but on Chazaka, it outlasts even the second Chorban, it remains in play even to this day. Of course, the Rambam's view itself is perplexing. And the Mosekalim asked the question, Kesef Mishnah very succinctly, Nukos Beis Abchira says, I don't understand, he says. There were two Kedushos, there were two Churbanos. Why is it that Kedusha number one was vulnerable to the Churban and Kedusha number two was not? Of course, the Rabbah himself seems to emphasize the first one was Ayyadei Kibush and the second one was Ayyadei Chazaka. But, says the Kesef Mishnah, that doesn't really answer the question. Why is the Kibush Kedusha inferior to the Chazaka Kedusha. And he doesn't have a very good answer. Many Achronim struggled with this question. Many answers have been given. Absalavetik, the Chazalik Nebracha, suggested once, several things actually, one of the things he suggested once is that the second Kedusha of Ezra was also linked to Yerushalayim. Kal Yisrael came back at the time of Ezra, they settled in Yerushalayim, built the Beis Amikdash, and broadened out their Yishuv from there. And somehow, 
It's almost as if that second Kedusha was built on, rooted in, therefore nourished from the Kedusha of Yerushalayim, which was never Bata. But there's another possibility as well. That is to focus strongly, Rob may have said this other possibility too, on the language of the Rambam. Indeed, it's possible not that the Kedusha of Kibush is inferior to the Kedusha of Chazaka. Maybe not inferior, but at least more enduring. The Kedusha of Kibush was based precisely on the drama, the impact of conquest and control, military rule, sovereignty, and so on. And that is something which, as great an impact as it has, can always be overturned. When sovereignty is taken away, then the remnants of what was are problematic. On the other hand, in the time of Ezra, there was no conquest. They didn't have an army. It wasn't by choice. It wasn't a matter of uh, pacifism. The only way that they were going to return was through Chazaka. But the fact is that the Messias Nefesh that is associated with Chazaka, and especially with the challenging circumstances of Ezra, to return when you don't have sovereignty, when you're a minority, when you're not in control, when you're being persecuted and pressured, and you only have to read Ezra and Nehemiah to see what was taking place, and what Messias Nefesh, what heroism, courage, what devotion to Eretz Yisrael was implied precisely by this kind of chazaka. That sense of devotion, the constancy, the persistence, the commitment of trying to build a life in Eretz Yisrael without sovereignty, that is something which can't simply be neutralized and nullified. And even when the second Chorban took place, that Messias Nefesh, the symbol of it, and its enduring impact remained. So that symbolically, indeed, the Rambam is telling us, at least in one respect, that the second Kedusha of Ezra was more impressive, at least more enduring, than the first. But the fact is that the relationship between these two Kedushas is more complex than that. Now, some will suggest, some of the early Nosekalim will suggest, that maybe the reason that the second Chazaka of Ezra was enduring was because it came also on the heels of that first Kibush. And that in fact, Kiddush Hashniya, Kitshel Hashaita, Kitshel because it was nourished from both the Kibush of Yahushua and the Chazaka of Ezra. And indeed, this would make great sense in light of certain phenomenon that Achronim speak about in another context. The Gemara tells us that Surya, lands that we call Surya, have the status of Kibush Yachid. In other words, uh, when they were conquered by David, either he didn't, uh, he didn't conquer them in the proper order, in other words, he should have conquered Eretzisol proper first and then expanded out to Surya or he didn't get the proper permission whatever the case may be the Gemara establishes the halacha 
that Syria is in the category of Kibush Yachid. And therefore, the obligation of Trumos and Masros, Atsushani and so on, these obligations do not apply in Torah in Syria, only in Drabah. However, Akronim note already that the Gemara speaks about Syria being a Kibush Yachid, not only in the era of Yahushua and the first Kibush, but even when it speaks post-Ezra about the status of Eretz Israel, Even then, it speaks about Surya being a Kibush Yachid. And the question is why? If, in the aftermath of the first Korban, the Kibush of Yahushua had completely been neutralized, and there was a new Kibush in the time of Ezra, beginning anew, from a vacuum, so what does the conquest of Yahushua as a Kibush Yachid properly, improperly, in the time of David Melech, why does that impact at all in a post-Ezra era? So one possible answer, there are many fascinating answers to this question, but Rav Chaim um, suggests one answer based on the Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi commenting on a Pasuk, many people say in the Tefillah of Shlomo Medina every week, Beheitivcha Hushalmi seems to say means that in order for land to achieve Kedushas Eretz Yisrael a second time through a second Kedusha it had to be building off of it had to be part of that initial land that was subject to the Kibush Yehoshua initially you can't create Eretz Yisrael from nothing. You have to build on the achievements of those who preceded you. And therefore, the idea is that if Surya was Kibush Yachid in the initial Kibush, then it could never be more than Kibush Yachid, even in the post-Ezra era. What this means is that on a certain level, even though the Kibush of Yahushua was neutralized and nullified, the fact is that the Chazaka of Ezra was built on the achievement and was linked to that initial Kibush. In that sense, the enduring quality of Ezra's Chazaka was due not only to the difference between Chazaka and Kibush, which we spoke of before, but either additionally or instead of is rooted in the fact that Ezra builds on the Kibush and the Chazaka. The truth is that there are significant implications to this from a Hashkafa point of view as well. The relationship that we have today to Medina Israel has exactly the parallel of these two elements of Kedusha. On the one hand, there is the Kibush Yahushua aspect of it. Many of us identify with the wars, the miraculous wars, of the modern state of Israel. In 1948, 1956, especially 1967, again in a different way, 1973. These were the kibush, those charismatic and dramatic military operations, again, where anybody who has some sense of hashkacha clearly understands that it was Yad Hashem, it was a kibush like Yahushua's kibush. And unquestionably, 
that had tremendous impact on the Jewish world. I remember impact of the aftermath of 1967, the tremendous uh, Chuba movement that began then. The fact that even secular Jews began to much more strongly identify with Israel, even those who weren't Chazor B'Tshuva, but their sense of identity um, with Jewish causes and their pride in being Jewish. That kibush, that sense of Yad Hashem, whether people articulated it or admitted it or not, even if they felt it was only a military prowess, whatever it was, it had a tremendous impact, even in the area of Kedusha. It was really a kibush. But, like other aspects of kibush, and that's exactly the message of the Rambam, kibush is only as good as its impact, or the impact that people ascribe to it. And in time, post-67, certainly after 73, and in more uh, recent and contemporary times, well, you don't see Yad Hashem, you don't see the Hashgacha of military might every single day. And even those people who saw it, because they're human beings, tend to forget, or become manured or insensitive over time. The kibush begins to wear off. And the danger is that the Kedusha Sa'aretz and the symbolic counterparts and the way in which we let Eretz Yisrael impact upon us, Bismanenu, but that also begins to wear off. But, fortunately, for those who are interested in seeing it, there is always, in addition, the Chazaka of Ezra, Yeshiva Sa'aretz. And on the contrary, the more difficult the circumstances, the greater the challenges, when military might is not the only or the most decisive answer, it's where the Messias Nefesh is necessary. That sometimes the Kedusha is even more abiding. The effects of Kibush can be undone, at least partially. But understanding and appreciating being sensitive to the Messias Nefesh of Ezra, the Chazaka, that is something which is always enduring, if we let it be enduring. The impact of understanding that there is no Ezra without Yahushua, or at least that the impact of the Mesir Nefesh and the Chazaka of Ezra had to build on the Kibush of Yahushua. That combination of charisma and persistence of immediate impact and long-term devotion and commitment, that's the true recipe for Kedusha Sa'aretz being enduring. And the fact is that I think that is the challenge that many of us have to convey this to other members of Kal Yisrael who aren't as committed as we are. Who during the good times, say the heady times, the Kibosh Yehoshua times, were there, willing to be counted, willing to express and even manifest their Jewish pride. But I don't fully appreciate the concept of Chazaka of Ezra and how that can even be a more powerful force. The criticism of Hitnachlut, for example, among secular Israelis, 
certainly in diaspora misunderstanding is a clear case in point. People don't realize that whatever your political views are about Eretz Israel, it's precisely that group of people, it's precisely that group of people who show them a serious nefesh, who live in much more difficult, trying circumstances, challenging circumstances, but who have that long-held belief, faith, the people who are the modern-day Ezra's, including point which I won't develop, I think this requires its own topic. The Rambam's actual view is that the Kedusha of Ezra, the Zman results only in Trumas and Maestros Midrabana. Even the Rambam's that I read, in Nukhaz Beis Abachira, Nukhaz Trumas, seem to speak about Kedusha Shania of Ezra being Kedusha Lerasid Lava and the obligation being Minatara. But if you look at the very last halacha of Parak Aleph of Trumos, the Rambam introduces a new ingredient. He tells us that Trumos and Maestros and Chala and maybe other things, in fact, even in the post Ezra era, are only Drabanan, because there is a requirement of Bias Kochem, that all of Chal Yisrael, at least the majority of each Shevet, however it's defined, that's not for now. That Bias Kochem, the presence of Klal Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael, is also an ingredient for Trumas and Maestros, for Chala, to be Minatoro. The way he says it, which halachas it impacts, has tremendous halachic and I think hashkafic implications. I leave it for another time. But just as a closing point, the implication is that as much as there is the Kibush, and there is the Chazaka. It's also the participation of Am Yisrael, of Klau Yisrael, that is a critical ingredient in investing the land with Kedusha. And again, in the trying times that we live, it's important to affirm that as well. The Kibush and the Chazaka. But all of that is immeasurably enhanced by the support of B.S. Kochem, of all members of Klau Yisrael. In the last few weeks, finally, the Jewish community, at least in, in our country, has begun to wake up and to identify strongly and to look for ways to express that sense of B'yaz Kochem. Hopefully, in the weeks and the months to come, when undoubtedly it will continue to be important, we'll again be able to meet that challenge so that we can continue with the historic link to Eretz Yisrael that began with the Avos themselves and which continues to be part and parcel of our most basic obligations as members of Ka'al Yisrael. Ka'al Yisrael Shev Eretz Yisrael Ikri Thank you.